Hey, everyone here at the Investing Stuff You Should Know podcast. We have another developer. Uh, this uh, is Anthony Walker. Anthony is uh, in the Idaho area. He's a pretty young guy. He's 25, but he and his partner are doing some amazing things, are just crushing the capital space. And uh, I was born in Idaho. Uh, I think I've shared that with the audience before, but uh, this kind of thing uh, as a builder, as, a, as an investor, as a you know, somebody from Idaho, so much about Anthony's story and his partner resonates with me. So Anthony, I'm delighted to have you with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, join you. I can't wait to uh, jump right into it. Awesome, man. Awesome here. So uh, obviously I gave it away right at the get-go, like, hey, you're 25. Um, you have a, <laughs> a, a close partner uh, in the business as well. Uh, tell yep, us- Two of quickly. them. Oh, two. Okay, my bad. So yeah, give, us, yep. uh, give us the latest on what that looks like and how you guys, maybe uh, probably you look like you're near near, eight, near similar age. How did that happen and where did you guys come from? Yeah, great question. So uh, I have two business partners and um, John and John actually confusing. They're actually um, father, son. So that's kind of the idea. Okay, that, awesome. Um, but I met John Jr. Um, I was doing sales here locally, uh, real estate sales. And I had just joined and I got a, I was doing residential and I got a commercial listing. And, you know, when you're first starting, they tell you commercials, this whole different beast. And so they're like, you should co-list it with someone. There's this other young, hungry commercial guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, long story short, I met John. We co-listed it, never sold the property. Um, and we just kind of formed a relationship. And we actually ended up starting that company first. We actually partnered there, started the Inland Northwest team, um, scaled that. We, we probably sold just under $100 million in real estate in about two-ish, two-and-a-half-year uh, period. And then we kind of used that money. And John actually had Cornerstone um, kind of going, you know, at a, at a very small scale. And it was kind of my dream as well. And I said, you know, instead of being competition, let's just partner and, and crush this together type idea. So um, I actually joined Cornerstone. So we have the three partners and we used our commission money to kind of fund and get Cornerstone to where it is today. So we would, you know, make enough in commissions to hire an employee for, you know, us and Cornerstone type idea. They would do like, 50-50 type idea until we, you know, finally got, you know, enough cash flow, enough, you know, um, raising enough capital where we could make the full transition over. That's awesome, man. Uh, so if I was to jump on Cornerstone website, just for the audience myself here, what would I see? What would I, what would the title banner say? Like, hey, we, this is a, a brokerage, uh, a commercial real estate development company. What would I see if I jumped on that website or yeah, what's yeah. that? What's the marketing there? Yeah. Cornerstones is, um, you know, we do unique investment opportunities kind of in tertiary markets. So you'd find that we develop and buy value add in Idaho, Oregon, and Montana. And then we okay. raise capital to do so. So we're looking for LP investors. Um, we always put our own capital in, of course, but, you know, we want the scale just like everyone. So to do that, we raise capital. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Um, so you you actually mentioned, which is I think is pretty uh, interesting, and you probably were born with an entrepreneurial spirit. You probably were trying to sell <laughs> milk when you were a baby here, but you at least officially uh, or semi-officially, you kicked off this entrepreneurial life uh, around 15. So what did yep. you start doing at 15 years old, Anthony? And then, of course, like you said, you're 10 years later, you got like a literally a decade of experience, which is kind of yeah. awesome for a young person. But it's like, well, if you start, you know, when you're five or 10 or 15, <laughs> like you can get a lot in when still be quite young. So tell us. Totally, totally. And actually, I would say like, you know, before the entrepreneurship started, it was uh, it was selling Boy Scout popcorn. I'd go door to door and I sold like $4,500 in Boy Scout popcorn when I was like 10, 11, Are you 12, serious? Idea. I would just go door to door, sit in front of Super One and, you know, I wanted because you get like 33% of it and, you know, it'd go into your scout account, but then you can use that for pretty much whatever you want that has to do with Boy Scouts, you know, buy a new oh, backpack. I and I kind of saw that opportunity. That was my first like sales opportunity where I was like, I'm not nervous. And, you know, my dad taught me some stuff, you know, as much as he could. And I'd go door to door and 
sell Boy Scout popcorn. You know, I'd get people to buy overpriced popcorn to support a good cause. And uh, I went to a good cause, you know, part of it to the Boy Scouts and it was, it was great. And, um, and then, yeah, 15 is kind of when it all started. I bought a, uh, I knew I wanted to drive. So that was, that's where it all started. I was like, I want to get out of this house and I wanted to drive. Right. And my parents were like, you want to drive, you have to buy your own car. Like my parents have always had the, you know, background of, you know, we can support you, but if we buy you everything, then it's going to teach you nothing. So yes. you know, we'll support you in certain aspects, but like a car paying for gas, like they just always viewed that as, but I want it, I need to go out and get it. So I bought my first car and it needed a new engine. And so I uh, spent weekends and my dad taught me a bit. I watched a lot of YouTube and I put a new engine in it, got it running and uh, ran great until I drove home from, you know, I got a job, um, got home and a tree fell on it. And I was like six or 700 bucks in this car. It was an old Jeep Grand Cherokee and insurance paid me $3,000. And I was like, man, that's a value add right there. And so I kind of saw that as a, I'm going to flip cars. So yes. I started, you know, I'd buy, I bought a Jeep after that, flipped it, made a couple thousand dollars. And actually I did that all the way through college and paid for all my college flipping cars. You know, I would just do it. I'd drive it for a few months and put it on Craigslist and sell it and off to the next one. And I'd buy it, go fix it up in a couple weekends and good to go in the next car. So that's, awesome, that's kind of where the uh, entrepreneurship and sales all started. Awesome. And I, you went to college actually after that, and you graduated uh, uh, on your bio here on um, cum laude from with a finance and marketing degree here. Yep. Do you feel like mm -hmm. that? Um, give us as, as an entrepreneur, as someone naturally like gifted and and then have a having a bent that way. Give us your thoughts now that you're 25, and has that or was that a good decision to go to college and just kind of crush it, slay it, and then get out, and then you learned a lot, or you didn't learn a lot, it was a waste of time. Give us your thoughts yeah. for other people. Great you're question. Or questioning question. should I go? I get to, it. Should I go to college? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it a lot, and uh, I should preface, you know, when I was when I was in high school, I didn't, I wanted to start a business even in high school. I was like, I want to do something, but I got down like three months before graduation, and. You know, I, I didn't want to start a local landscaping business. I didn't want to start something like that. Um, you know, I I just started learning about like Bigger Pockets podcast, a little bit about real estate. And I thought, you know, if I wanted to start a business and I come from, you know, a very great family, but, you know, not entrepreneurs. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to start a business, I need to go get a business degree. So um, I wanted to stay in state because it was cheap. So I applied to U of I, got in U of I. And uh, yeah, I went to college and I got a D on my first test. And I was like, man, is college for me or is college not for me? And that's kind of one of those pivotal moments where it's, you know, you're like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be all in, especially if I'm paying for it. So from that yes. moment, I, you know, I graduated cum laude because from that D on that test, I pretty much put my all into it. And I was like, I'm going to get the most out of college I can. And now in the rear view mirror, you know, I remember learning off of a cereal box in my marketing degree. So, you know, and finance, you know, the last semester I learned about the derivatives market. I've never learned about real estate in my college career. Not a single thing. Actually, I got asked to speak at a, you know, college lecture because they don't teach real estate in, in college, at least the colleges that I, you know, yeah. well, went to. And this is actually a college in Oregon that I was invited to because they just don't teach it. So, you know, in retrospect, you know, I matured a lot in college and I think that has a lot, a lot of say to do, you know, for college. If you don't have, you know, the maturity and you're not ready to start a business at 18, which I, you know, most people probably don't, it's tough. Yes. Then college is a great place to kind of find yourself and, and dedicate yourself towards something, you know, learn a structure, get away from your family and all that stuff. But if you're going there just for the sole knowledge and you think that's going to carry you on in life, 
then you're not going to really, you're not going to achieve much that you really want to. Um, and the biggest thing that I would say that, you know, I was given this advice as a freshman and, and I took it to heart was the purpose of college is learning how to learn. So if you can get out of college or you can do anything in life and you can learn how to learn, so you can watch a YouTube video, you can read a book, you know, you can take a subject and actually learn it yourself, then that's going to teach you the most in life. And if you can get that from college, then it's, it's well worth it because that's probably one of the most useful skill sets you'll ever have. Yeah. And then getting a little more pointed there. Did you feel like you learned how to learn? And that's something that I actually took away from my engineering degree was like, hey, I learned how to, I, I, I say I learned how to think like an engineer. You know, you can learn to think like a lawyer or an attorney. There's a, there's an engineering perspective. There's a, you know, there's all these different like, like uh, professions out there uh, and they teach you how to think in certain ways, which is phenomenal. Uh, for your case, did you feel like you took away some um, practical, um, yeah. I guess, methodologies how to learn? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. And I, but again, I dedicated myself toward it. So, you know, a lot of my friends didn't dedicate it. They were just there to get through college and have some fun. I dedicated mm -hmm. myself toward learning. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for example, I actually was doing a marketing and entrepreneurship emphasis. And, you know, my last semester, I could graduate a semester early, or I could pretty much, you know, get take a couple extra credits and get a, another degree in finance. And I had really taken no finance classes besides oh, okay. prereqs. And so my last semester, I took like six classes and got a finance degree. And but really coming from like, I'm a numbers guy and you know, I'm a chief investment officer today. So like, I love numbers. So of course, you know, jumping into it wasn't that scary to me, but I jumped into it, learned how to do it and was, you know, top of the class in finance. Like I was beating people who've been studying finance for the last three and a half years. And I was taking tests and getting A's and B's on them, you know, and beating out the rest of the class that last semester. And I just, cause it's like, I knew how to learn. Like I knew how I took tests. I knew how to yes. study and I knew how to perform well. And that's just something I learned from the last three years of learning how to, you know, teaching myself how I learn. That's awesome, man. Um, so now that we started, so that was, that was that, thank you for that yeah, extensive Absolutely. answer. That was, that was, uh, I think people will get, especially younger folks will get something out of that and some, hopefully right. some guidance and some, some, uh, way posts in life. Like, Hey, you know what, this is like what you, you know, it's going to, you're going to get out what you put into it. And you know, there's lots, lots of different ways of doing it. So, but now, uh, now within Cornerstone Capital here. So that, did you start that right after college or, uh, what did that look like? Yeah. So I graduated college and actually at the time, you know, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I probably listened to 500 hours of bigger pockets podcast. I was obsessed during college. That's the other thing is, you know, I'm a person that goes to the gym and I'm listening to podcasts, not music, because I want to learn. And I, I still do that today. Yes. And uh, so, but my thought at the time was, you know, I'd go start a tech company, make a bunch of money through tech because I was doing internships at different tech companies and, you know, they're profitable companies. So I thought, you know, I would start a tech company, eventually sell that or take some money and, and then invest into real estate. And so I, uh, I moved to Missoula, Montana, actually worked at a little local startup company in my, uh, my first salary was $36,000 a year plus a 10% bonus if I performed well. And at the time, you know, we've seen a lot of inflation the last, you know, couple of years, but at the yeah. time that was a decent income for that. Oh. So I was in Missoula, Montana. I was in Missoula, Montana, and I was making $36,000 a year. That was my first salary plus a 10% bonus if I performed well. And at the time, that was a that was a good income for the area. Um, inflation has really changed those, you know, kind of metrics of since 2020, since COVID and in our areas who've seen exponential growth. Um, but I was sitting there, you know, and I was I was bored out of my mind. I was sitting in front of a computer and I was getting, you know, everything done in 20 hours in a 40 hour week. So I was again listening to just podcasts over and over and just 
bored and you know I, I got home one day and I was like, you know what, I'm I'm done. So I put in my two weeks notice and I said, you know what, if I'm gonna start a business, I want to live where I want to live. And I love Coeur d'Alene. So I moved back to Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Uh, actually I never lived in Coeur d'Alene. I lived up in North Sandpoint, but I moved to Coeur d'Alene and I um absolutely love it here. And that's when I kind of started um actually I went and worked for someone for free for a little bit to learn his business. And he ended up paying me ten dollars an hour to help manage his uh portfolio of real estate. He uh this guy never made more than 70K a year and owned 220 single family rentals that he had bought all at property tax auctions through the last you know 50 years. And so uh I was making 10 bucks an hour, you know, living in a bedroom for 300 bucks a month and just learning everything I could about real estate. Yes. And and I uh we I learned about what a real estate agent does just through kind of the process of learning through him. And he didn't love real estate agents. He never bought things through real estate agents really unless it was his own residence. So, you know, he wasn't a real salesy guy, but uh I, you know, I, I'm like, I'm good at sales. So I got my real estate license and that's kind of where my career and sales launched was, you know, after just learning everything about investing first. Awesome, man. Uh, so now that the companies you've seen, seen some success in the company here, you have focused on, um, and I've seen your, some of your posts on the social media there, you do value add, uh, uh, assets and, but then also you're also working on new development. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it's our primary focus right now. And, and so I should preface it with these tertiary markets have been so, they're difficult to develop. And if you haven't done, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Montana, um, Bend, Oregon area, because there's, well, there's limited land. The cities don't really like to grow. And so, but it's also- What do you think that is? What do you think that is? Why do cities, and I even have their yeah, own preconceived idea, you have the ideas local, of what that is. You know, yeah, you know, you have the locals um, that just don't want to see it grow. They want to keep the beautiful town. And so they push as hard as they can to slow down growth, which ultimately leads to terrible growth. To, and a lot of times, you know, more sprawled out growth. And then eventually they have to come back together and do more density in the downtown areas. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to witness because, you know, in my, you know, I love Coeur d'Alene. I don't want it to change. Of course, I want this beautiful little town, but I know it's going to change. Yeah. I just think we have to grow in a smart way. And the cities and the locals who don't understand development don't want it to grow at all. So they just try to hinder any sort of growth in these tertiary markets. But that's great for developers because, you know, it just puts up a pent up demand. There's only so much supply out there. And there's only so much supply that can be in these markets, you know, in the short term while stuff has to get annexed into the city land and whatnot. And that's why we like them along with, you know, they have great quality of living. Every single place we develop in has, you know, they've, they've all probably been in the top 100 best places to live in America because they're just beautiful towns, you know, roughly 50 to 100 to 200,000 people. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah. And, uh, so then, so then when you look, so like you, you, this is kind of your, your niche is this, you know, like you said, the tertiary markets in that area, and that's a beautiful, beautiful area or a beautiful candy. And there's obviously spots that aren't so good, but there's a lot of a real, a real natural beauty up there. Yeah. But, um, uh, so then your approach has been, um, how, how have you been making the numbers work? It's just simply like when you find that you, you, you source the land and just because the, of the, um, the upside in, in a development deal, it's so yep. tremendous that most of the numbers work all the time or lay out the yeah. thinking how that works in that, in those markets. And you can be confident that you can get, get the, uh, provide your investors, the returns that they're seeking. Yeah. Great question. And, um, it's, it's tougher to do in value added, especially the last few years, because, you know, since COVID happened in, in Seattle, Portland, and all of California, it's pushed a lot of investors, even like some bigger institutional um, investors to our market. And it's, you know, it compressed cap rates. We were, you know, there was some stuff selling in three and a half caps. 
Um, you know, it's not really value add, it's already positioned well, but you know, they're going to buy and try to push rents up even more, which is good for us. Cause you know, then it pushes our rents up at the same time. We have a big institution trying to push rents up, but it's been very hard, hard to find value add. And so we focused a lot on development for that reason is because we can go find land. You know, if the land pencils, well, we always have to buy land at the right price, yeah. but if it pencils, well, we have a great developer, we have architects, we have, you know, people that understand construction. We understand construction. So we, we do, you know, we value add it or we um, we cost engineer it, I should say, the entire project to make sure it fits in the pro forma. And we have a ton of contingencies. Typically we have, you know, a 10% contingency on the development. And if all that still pencils, then it still gives, you know, a seven, eight, 9% cash on cash return. Then we, you know, then we want to develop it. A lot of times we're able to build new development in that like six to seven cap range. Yeah. And in this market, you know, even today it's worth a four and a half, five cap. So you have that instant built-in equity as well, which, you know, allows us to get paid. That's awesome. Talk to us about the your capital raising experience, Anthony. Um, so we know, you know, what how did you connect with your initial investors? And also just as, as a teaser for the folks, you know, your uh capital raising ability as a company has grown probably if we graphed it out, you know, maybe an exponential function, you know, yeah, a, a few, a million or two, and then and then five, and then 10, and then now you're at 40, and you're gonna hopefully hit hundred here. Talk to us about that growth and the kind of connections and people you started out with and then that you are currently talking to and that have fostered this growth and the people that you're trying to target are the groups, the entities you're targeting next. So through kind of a three-part yeah. question. Totally. You know, and it has grown, you know, over the years. It's taken five years to get to this point type idea. You know, the first raise we did was one and a half million, and that one was the most difficult, no doubt. You know, it's our best performing asset. We still own it. It was a ground-up development in um, just outside of Missoula, and we did a better split on it. Toughest to raise, but last year we gave a 15% cash on cash return on it. That's our incredible. Love it. But to get to that point, you know, we what the, is that like a, was that like a multi like a hundred unit multifamily? What did that what did that look like? Nope. What did that? Yeah, 34 units. So 34. Okay. No, was, sorry. I, I was yeah. like, oh, we're going big. Yeah. Nope. We've we started, we've started small and we've done even smaller deals after that type of deal. And, and we're yeah. growing now. You know, the last couple of years is when we're like seeing that growth, try to do more units. We we really believe in our capital raising ability, but it takes time to get there. And uh, you know, the first raise was one and a half million. And that was, you know, calling your old friends, calling, you know, people, and even setting up the deal, we had to find the perfect deal because um, you know, we had a we had to lock something up in time and then raise the capital as well. But this isn't a fun. This is like, hey, find a deal, raise the capital. So the first deal we found, the builder actually owned it. And he was, you know, not really wanting to sell, but you know, the broker actually who we hired convinced him to sell it if he built it. So we found the land. He was patient enough because he could build it. Took yeah. us, you know, raising capital, calling everyone we knew. We didn't do any sort of marketing, you know, it was finding connections. The broker, um, is Jesse, he's actually our regional partner now. Um, we've just grown a really great relationship with him. He's uh, he introduced us to some people, and you know, it took a while. You know, we, you know, it was fifty thousand, twenty five thousand dollar investments. You know, maybe a maybe a hundred thousand dollar investment, and just like pulling the strings to get there. And then you know, the next one was like a four million dollar raise, and again, it was like. You know, those, those past investors, actually, a lot of those people came to the next one because they believed in our ability at that point. They saw, right. we're actually building this, you know, let's let's invest in the next one. And then they, every single investor you get, you have to think of as like a little seed. And if you give them really good communication service and you treat them with like, we call it the white glove service, then they're going to grow a tree. They're going to tell a few of their friends and then their friends tell some people. And that's really actually how we've grown to where we are today is, is completely through referral basis. 
Um, and then we met a guy named Jim O'Day and he just, you know, he was the athletic director of University of Montana and he just knows everyone. So he was willing to kind of share with his network and has been continuing to share with his network, you know, the ability of what we do. And then, you know, so it was a million and a half, then 4 million, then, you know, 10 million the next year and then 20 million. And then, you know, and now we're at 46 million raised. Um, and this year, you know, in three weeks, we were able to raise $5 million, um, all from past clients or referrals from past clients. So um, actually, until this year, we haven't spent a penny on any sort of, you know, advertising on yeah. like Instagram or Facebook and like that. Until this year, we actually just launched a advertising campaign as we just look to, we want to scale it to like, you know, investors nationwide type of day. You know, it's hard to get Texas investors or, you know, these other investors when you don't have a presence there. And Absolutely. so we launched that campaign and um, we actually haven't, we haven't, we just launched it. So it's, you know, very much in its infancy. But, um, you know, this year we have a goal of raising 40 million, basically doubling our business again. That's awesome, man. The, um, the kind of, uh, talk to us about the sales. That's what I was, where, where I was going to go next for that question was talk to what you said. You kind of, when you first started working for that one guy for 10 bucks an hour, you realized mm -hmm. you had maybe perhaps a sales ability. And, uh, I'm not sure if that's your full-time responsibility. Cause like you said, there's, there's two other, uh, partners on your team here. What uh, do you think, what, what, what in particular about sales is, I mean, essentially is capital raising all sales or do you think it's partially sales or what, uh, what, what are like two elements there that you feel that enables successful capital raising into, into leverage and gain the kind of trust and credibility you need in, in, in the eyes of your LPs or your investors? Yeah, great question. And it's always, you know, it's it's transactional. So it's, or sorry, it's transactional in the fact that like you can't put the transaction in front of the relationship. So when you're raising yeah. capital and the most important part of sales, especially long-term sales is building the relationship, you know, putting the relationship in there, proving your success. And then, you know, we just had an investor, I've been talking to him for 18 months. He finally committed to investing because he calls me. He's like, I've been on the fence and I've seen your guys as success, but there's something holding me back. And he's like, just run me through these, you know, just run me through like these numbers. And I run them through. He's like, that makes so much sense. And they're like, I'm going to invest. And so, but I haven't been, you know, I haven't been on his doorstep trying to, you know, hey, hey, invest when you're ready. It's yeah. building a relationship the last 18 months that have gotten there. So that's the first thing. And and I learned a lot of that in being a broker. I mean, it's like selling a house, you know, when they're ready, you want to be the person that they come to. And that's the most important thing in raising capital is people aren't going to be ready there, you know, especially the last two years, they've been making a killing in the stock market or their cryptocurrencies. And why would you take it out when you're making a 50% return there? when you can only make a 20% return in, you know, uh, real estate. And now that things have come back to reality, you know, I'm on constant calls of the opposite of I've lost 40% of my portfolio and I should have been cash flowing this whole time. And it's great. Now we're, now we're ready to have this conversation, but I'm the first person that they call because I've been building these relationships for years type idea. So that'd be the first thing is, is really put relationships over the transaction and, and don't get mad if they don't invest, you know, um, the relationship is, is far more important. And again, I've had other investors take years to invest. I've been telling them since I started this and they finally invest and they said, no, no, no. And then they're finally ready. So yes. I, would, I would say that that's the number one most important thing. Um, and number two is just not like, you know, I'd say it kind of prefaces to that is not like letting, letting no slow you down. You have to like continue to go. It's, it's really is everything in sales is a numbers game. Some people won't be ready. Some people will say no. Some people won't like the idea. Some people will say, you know, syndicators are just taking money and they're, they're not worth what they're paying. You're, you're going to get everything in this business, but it's not letting that deter you from your overall goal and your vision and knowing that you actually are delivering a good product to your investors. 
and just not letting that and just continue to talk to more people, continue to market, advertise, whatever you're doing, and just let it be a numbers game. The more people you talk to, the more you get your name out there, the more people are going to know about your company and the more money you're going to raise. I like that nice, crisp, bullet-pointed list here. I will ask you a personal question here, Anthony. What uh, of all the obviously you guys have achieved, you know, amazing success, and uh, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, it's been hard. You know, five years is a long time, but also it's you know relative to life and and nature. That's a very short time. What do you think personally has been some of the uh, characteristics or some of the, some things that you do to achieve success? The success, the success you've seen. Yeah, great question. And it's, you know, it's having a great support system around you. So having, you know, friends, family, you know, at the minimum, they might understand what you're doing, but they support you, you know, surrounding yourself with people that really want the best for you is one of the, you know, most important things that you can do. And then um, discipline and having good habits. So discipline, you know, you're going to have to wake up early. You're going to have to stay late at the office when you're first getting started because, you know, you're going to have to wear, and I still to this day wear multiple hats. You know, I'm doing marketing along with chief investment stuff, you know, along with 35 other things. Um, Can I pause for just one second? I have to plug this in. Sorry about that. And so with discipline, you know, you have to have the discipline to wake up early, stay up late. You're going to wear multiple hats. I'm still wearing multiple hats to this day. I'm doing, you know, chief investment officer. I'm underwriting deals. I'm looking at analysis. I'm trying to find the best investments for our investors. Along with, you know, I want to build this brand. I want to build my personal brand. So I'm running that hat. So you have to be willing to be disciplined to do that and continue to learn and, and wake up every day. Even days are going to be tough. Sometimes you're not. And you have to use discipline over motivation. Discipline is going to get you from point A to point B. Motivation is going to give you going up and down every single day, and it'll eventually wear out. Um, And then habits. You know, I'm a big, um, I I go to the gym as soon as I wake up in the morning. I try to eat a healthy diet. I try to, you know, keep, you know, clean on my my body because then I know my mind's going to work the best. And I also, I want to live for a long time. All this is worth it unless I'm healthy. And also, I, I think that the, you know, gym's a great thing for me. You know, I'm not a I'm not a bodybuilder, but it gives me a time to A, I listen to podcasts and B, it just, you know, it just gets your body moving and, and feeling good. And then when you feel good, you perform better. Awesome, man. What is uh, clearly, like you just said, you just launched because uh, you're trying to grow and scale. That's the vision uh, going for the next year or two here. What is the best place and way for people to get in connection with you? I know I see you on social media, especially LinkedIn. Uh, what other channels are there um, are, that you like to connect with people and uh, for people to know more about what you're doing and where you're going? Yeah, great question. So we, uh, um, LinkedIn's great, Instagram, Anthony Walker 18. And then we have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter. It's called the Wealthy Habits Newsletter. And uh, if you subscribe to that, we're actually going to be launching a Wealthy Habits podcast um, where we kind of go into real estate, but also mindset, discipline, and kind of those things I was talking about, just being a better um, overall human being. Well, that's awesome, man. So everyone here at the Investing Stuff You Should Know, thank you for listening to another great episode here. Uh, obviously, Anthony's story, he and his his uh, team, his two partners, it's amazing and exciting. You just see what happens with dedication, focus, and grit in a relatively short amount of time. So it's an inspiring story. Um, it's not just the big markets like Texas or Florida where you can be successful here. Anthony is crushing it and his team are crushing it up there. And like you said, in Oregon, Idaho and Montana area. So until next time, thank you for everyone for listening. Of course, give us a thumbs up, a like, a comment, share the word here of this amazing podcast. And of course, check out Anthony's podcast when he releases it and subscribe to his newsletter. Yeah.